Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations with Jeff Stein and Gene Meserve. Hi there, I'm Jeff Stein. And I'm Gene Meserve. Welcome to another episode of Spy Talk. This week, former top CIA officer Mark Polymeropoulos on the alarming rate of suicides among counterterrorism veterans. Veterans in the United States military, as well as, you know, others in the U.S. government are really struggling for mental health. They're killing themselves at an extraordinary rate of 22 per day, which is a staggering number. It's hard to even put your your hands around. And ultimately, it's because uh, there's a stigma involved with mental health. And so while there is help out there, if a veteran, if a U.S. military officer, if an intelligence officer wants to get that help, you know, over half of those um, or almost half of those who do need that help don't get it because of that stigma. I'll be back with more from Mark Polymeropoulos in a bit. But first, the word that's on everybody's mind this week, Buffalo. Gene? Jeff, 10 people died last weekend in Buffalo, New York, mowed down by an 18-year-old with an assault weapon. Authorities were uncharacteristically blunt about the gunman's motivation. This was pure evil. It was straight up racially motivated hate crime. That was Erie County Sheriff John Garcia. The writings of the gunman are those of a white supremacist, steeped in replacement theory, which holds that white Americans are being supplanted politically, economically, and culturally by other ethnicities. Stephen Hassan isn't just an expert on cults. He's a former cult member, now a mental health professional. He's founder of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center and has written four books, including Combating Cult Mind Control. I asked him if cult member was an accurate description of the Buffalo shooter. The short answer is uh, yes, an ideological cult uh, of white supremacy. And uh, there are some people who say you need to have a figurehead to be a cult, and I don't agree with that at all. I will also say that as a mental health professional, I've done a whole lot of cases with people radicalized online who are on the spectrum, uh, very high-functioning Asperger's folks who can get taken in by the phony community uh of of online including bots and other things but feel like they are part of something great and lots of kudos to them so it it's triggering a lot of normal uh positive desires of people i'd like to talk a little bit if i could about your background you know whereof you speak sure the short form version is uh when i was 19 years old back in 1974 my girlfriend dumped me i was a college student three women approached me in the college cafeteria at queen's college and flirted with me and lied to me and that began my grooming which turned out to be a member of the moon cult where I was trained to believe moon was the Messiah and greater than anyone else. And that there was, these were the last days world war three would happen by 1977. 
and I was sent out as a leader to do uh, political activism, like fasting for Nixon during Watergate on the Capitol steps, even though I hated Nixon before I was indoctrinated as a Mooney. And I, I rose in the ranks and then di uh, nearly died in a van crash due to sleep exhaustion. And after two weeks in the hospital, I visited my sister and an intervention was staged, a deprogramming that fortunately went well. And I started realizing Chinese communist brainwashing <laughs> techniques had in fact been used on me. And little did I know I'd be doing this work 46 years later, full time, but that's what's happened. So do you think that the experience that this teenager had is something like the experience you had? Yes, I do, except that in 1974, cell phones didn't exist. And what we see now, especially with the pandemic, but with young people raised on screens, their brains are getting wired that way. And that's why people on the spectrum are particularly vulnerable because they're very typically very anxious and uncomfortable in real life social situations. Some people have trouble making eye contact and reading nonverbal cues, whereas online you can use emojis and you can, you can uh, have this illusion of reality. So what exactly draws them in? Is it that sense that you belong to something? So a lot of errors are made where people try to project onto cult membership and say they were weak, they were stupid, they didn't fit in, they had no community, etc. And I've really done a lot of cases over four decades, and I've seen it all pretty much. But for young people, and I don't know that this young man is on the spectrum, I I just did a chapter in an Oxford University Press uh, textbook called Lone Actor Terrorism. People want to feel good about themselves. They want to improve themselves, or they may want to make the world a better place. These are all very positive motivations. And then the question is, how did this young man get started on this? And what I've learned is many young people are getting caught up by, by algorithms where suggested friends are popping up, suggested videos are popping up. You say that some of these people at least want to make the world a better place. This guy walked into a grocery store and started shooting. That doesn't sound like making the world a better place. Well, I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm against violence and white supremacy. But he's been indoctrinated into this black and white, very narrow worldview where he's been fed a lot of lies and propaganda about how people of color are going to steal his jobs and, and ruin the country, etc. And he obviously hasn't had friends who are black or, you know, or Latino. And the cure for people who have these beliefs installed in them is positive interaction and exposure. I want to state categorically, I was raised a, a conservative Jew, uh, and I was educated about the Holocaust. I went to Israel and worked on an archaeological dig. 
I wasn't told the Moonies were anti-Semitic, but it, nevertheless, within a few months, I was being told that the Holocaust was justified because the Jews didn't accept Jesus. And I accepted it whole hog that my, my real self was suppressed by my cult self. And it wasn't until that accident and time out. I mean, I was an extra honor student. I skipped eighth grade. I've, I was reading postgraduate level when I was eight years old. I'm not stupid, but they hacked my mind and they trained me with hypnosis and thought stopping and phobias and program in the pseudo identity that where I, I swear I would have died on command or killed on command. Someone could have given me in a machine gun or an AR-15 and I would have done the same thing as this young man did, unfortunately. You know, we've already heard murmurings about mental illness. We often do in these kinds of cases. Is there any connection between mental illness and cult membership? There can be. Um, you know, I finished my doctoral work uh, in 2020 on trying to connect the dots with brainwashing theory and trafficking law and, and the legal system because the law is out of date with understanding how to evaluate undue influence. And so I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just say a couple of more sentences about this, but there's an organization called GLOO, G-L-O-O, it's a Christian based in Colorado, and they were literally buying on the dark web uh, profiles of people who were searching on the internet for depression, anxiety, suicidal feelings, to then befriend these people, invite them for Bible studies and such. So, but I want to state categorically, the world is in anxiety and panic and insecurity with ec economics and now with Russia and violence. So uh, everybody is, is in a numbed, sleep-deprived state. I tell people all the time, the universal is sleep deprivation and the average American is sleep deprived, right? And you're not thinking clearly. You're using your emotional brain more than your analytic mind going, what is the evidence? And is this evidence solid? And how? what do I need to do to reality test? So you've talked about how they roped you in. Talk to me a little bit more about how you broke the spell, how you escaped the cult. So I was as fanatical as anyone I've ever met in my 46-year career, which includes people who were in jail for killing people, for being involved with a cult. Um, I really needed to be away from the group sleeping. And it was the automobile accident that broke my leg and the group visited me once for less than an hour, and I was not constantly programmed. And when people ask me today, what do we do to deprogram 70 million people? The first step is if you can get people off their phones and off their screens where this constant barrage is happening to their neurons, uh, that's the first step for reality testing, actually. And I outline learning, and I did a TEDx talk, how, how can you tell if you've been brainwashed? You need to study Chinese communist brainwashing and trafficking law and understand 
what the touchstones are, and then seek out critics and former members of whatever you're believing and listen and take the position. If something's legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. And if it isn't, why would I spend my time and energy believing it anymore? Then go back in time before you got recruited to what you thought was you were getting into. Like I would be talking to this young man, go back in time before you ever heard about white supremacy. Now, if they if we find out his parents were white supremacists and you know that they're in he's in the John Birch Society or something like that, that changes my my formula. But basically, most people that are being sucked into this radicalization uh, are not. That's not their personality. It's not their value. Uh, you know their values. So you're talking about individual agency, essentially. Somebody should turn off the internet, shut off their phone, disconnect themselves from these forces, these algorithms that may be playing with their mind. But and honestly, self-reflect. Would I have ever gotten in if I knew at the beginning what was going to happen? If he's on suicide watch now, my guess is he might be susceptible to a, a, an interview to really talk about what led him up to all of this indoctrination. But my question is not so much about him, but about the broader phenomenon, where we have hundreds of thousands of Americans and frankly, people in other countries as well, believing conspiracy theories that most rational people would realize are crazy. Right. They believe them. Yeah. And what would ever encourage them to turn off the phone, to turn off the internet, to self-reflect when they have a community of people who believe as they do, they have political leaders and media figures who believe as they do. It's a very important question. And I can only tell you what got me to agree to the deprogramming was my father looked me in the eye and cried and said, how would you feel if it was your son your only son who met a controversial group, dropped out of college, quit his job, donated his bank. How would you feel, Steve? But it was his tear that got through my Mooney identity right to the real me. And I was sure I wasn't brainwashed. I was positive I wasn't in a cult. So I rose to the challenge. Well, I'll, I'll listen, but if I decide I want to go back, I'm going back. And he said, fine, deal. So that's my challenge to anyone listening to this. If you're certain about your beliefs on the left, on the right, anything, you need to reality test, in my opinion, and look for evidence, facts. They think they have facts. And as we've all discovered, I facts know have I used very to give fluid. a lecture in the Moonies and tell people this is true. You can go to the library and open up the textbooks and prove, and nobody did. They believe it, but it, they didn't do the real work. And, but they've been programmed. I've done my research. Sitting and watching, binge-watching propaganda videos for days is not research. Sorry. So if, if somebody you know doesn't have a father, as you did, who could intervene and, and cry and make you come to some sort of personal realization, what can we do about this as a society? Are there ways for America writ large to do something yes. about these, these thousands of people? 
There are millions of people, actually. And in my book, The Cult of Trump, I talk about it being comprised of authoritarian cults, in particular, uh, what I call New Apostolic Reformation cults, The Family, Opus Dei, just to name three. Um, what I've done as a professional, mental health professional, has been coaching families and friends how to talk to their loved ones. What doesn't work is yelling at them, calling them names, or presenting facts. What does work is if you have a respectful, curious uh, posture of, you know, I, I, I respect you, you're intelligent, you're educated, help me understand your journey of how you came to these beliefs. And let's make a deal. Let's both be prepared to change our beliefs if the evidence suggests it. It takes time. People are looking for the one hour or less magic pill, and that doesn't exist that I know of, except people have moments where they're doubting and if they meet a stranger on the street and have a five-minute conversation, that can often be all it takes for the person to go on the internet and start talking to the critics and the former members. And they're a former Trump people. I want to say a couple more things, if I may. I, I suggest Congress have open hearings on cults, brainwashing, psyops, and QAnon and conspiracy theories. I could put together a dynamite panel and let's... But you have members of Congress who buy into those things. That's my point. It has to be done top down as well as empowering everybody to reach out to family members, friends, co-workers, former... Uh, schoolmates of yours, reestablish warmth, connection, find common ground. Don't start with politics. Start with sports or, or poetry or things that you had in common and reconnect with the people's real selves. And the most powerful technique is asking a good question, being quiet, waiting for the person to think about it, and then following up with another good question. And it's very effective if it's done with the right heart where you're, you're willing to change yourself too and instead of I'm, I'm right, you're wrong, you got to trust me. So yeah. all the other things that are talked about, like uh, regulating big tech and social media or doing more fact-checking in the media or silencing certain extremist voices uh, in, the, in the media ecosystem, those things wouldn't work? In your opinion? No, I, I think it's, so the world is complex and complex systems theory, which I'm trained in, says you have to work from the bottom up and the top down and that everything is interrelated. So we, I think the best frame to take is a public health frame of prevention, developing resources to intervene that are effective and resources for recovery. I think we need strict data privacy laws enacted. I think tech platforms would do very well to understand the model of ethical and unethical influence algorithmically. And we can identify authoritarianism on the left and the right. It's not just the right that's extreme. There are people on the left as well that are being encouraged to be in, at war 
with other Americans. And I'm, I'm for like, let's have peace. Let, you know, we're on one planet together. Let's find a way to live together, please. Well, you're a voice in the wilderness. I am. Many other people are fanning the flames of this. Yeah, and especially Putin and his 10,000 plus uh, intelligence agents that are online and China and Iran and North Korea and ISIS. And we have former American military intelligence people like Michael Flynn doing doing psyops on Americans saying that Trump won the election. Excuse me? So you indicate that there are ways to do prevention. Um, are there also ways to predict who is going to be susceptible to this? Well, so there are, are situational vulnerabilities that we all as members of the human race go through, death of a loved one, illness, losing a job, getting divorced, moving to a new city, state, or country, being sexually assaulted as a child. There's a bunch of situational vulnerabilities, but all of those can be ameliorated by a one to two hour course on what is a mind control cult, what questions should you ask, what behavior should you look out for, and how to test out whether or not it's real before you commit any money or time to it. So there's definitely that. Um, and I, I really believe that I'm working on a course, an online course for mental health professionals who've been deluged and they don't know how to talk to someone who's believing QAnon conspiracy theories or to their family that's saying, what do I do? My wife has been taken over or my father. And they need to understand what it is is happening to people's minds. And I describe it as a mind virus, that people's minds have been hacked just as COVID-19 is a, is a virus. We have a mind virus. The good news is the human spirit wants to be free. I truly believe this, that people don't like to be lied to and exploited and used for their own purposes. Uh, and there are ways to intervene. Lastly, I want to say former Trump believers, like fanatics, make the best messengers to help people start to reality test. The problem is they have to be educating family and friends and mental health professionals and not just going after Trump people. For example, David Weissman, who is a self-professed MAGA troll, uh, uh, w was helped out of his mindset by Sarah Silverman, who he was trolling. And she was like, oh, you're a veteran? Thank you for your service. Oh, you, you don't like our ideas for gun control? Please tell us what would work to stop these school shootings, etc." And he was taken aback that a celebrity would ask his opinion. Anyway, he's out and he's been very public. Uh, and there are many other people who have you know, spoken out, people who are Christians who were following blindly, and now they realize they were following a, a person who claimed to be a prophet or an apostle, and this person wasn't. <laughs> well, this individual involved in Buffalo seemed to believe in this replacement theory that sooner or later, whites are going to be replaced by people of brown skin. And I'm wondering if that is different than other sorts of misinformation or disinformation 
uh, because it goes to something pretty elemental about us, our, our ethnic and racial identity. Yeah, well, you know, and our sexual identities of man and woman is another fundamental aspect of identity. The folks that I've befriended who are ex-white supremacists, former skinheads, neo-Nazis, etc., they all talked about what helped them get out was kindness from the outside, positive interactions with blacks and Jews, believe it or not, and and for and I've done interviews with some of these folks. Um, and you know who springs to my mind? Dylan Roof, right? Who went to that church in Atlanta and prayed with people in the church and then turned around and gunned them down. They were being kind. They were being welcoming. Yes. Yeah, it was horrible. I wrote about Dylan Roof in this chapter for the uh, loaned actor terrorism. So we can look at individual cases and then we can try to generalize. Um, if somebody is on, already on the mission, has already bought the guns, has planned and scoped out the target, etc., they they need to be intervened with. You know, at that moment, praying with them uh, is not going to be effective, in my opinion. That said, um, there are some techniques and strategies people can try. I'm not going to say it publicly, but there there are some things that people can do with this. Look, we I don't want to say that people who commit these horrible acts aren't mentally ill, because I think they are. I was mentally ill as a Mooney, in my opinion. I had a dissociative disorder, 300.15 in the American Psychiatric Association Diagnostic Statistical Manual that talks about brainwashing and cults and a disruption in identity. I think at that moment, they're mentally ill. But what I'm trying to say is, I want to know who they were before they got radicalized and whether or not they, they you know, had a transformation as I did uh, dramatically where I was writing poetry and I was told to throw out my poems and I did. And I turned my back on my entire life plan of writing poetry and teaching English to be a Mooney, thinking that democracy was satanic, we had to have a theocracy, and that everyone who didn't believe what we believed, it would be okay to take their bodies away from them and send them to the spirit world. That's what I was indoctrinated to believe. Given the fact that there are, as you say, millions of people who believe um, some of these things. And given the fact that mental health resources are in very short supply in the United States, do you come away from an incident like this with any optimism that we can actually get a handle on this? Yes, I have to. It's my, it's my DNA to, to try to do whatever we can to uh, educate those who are willing to learn and listen read books, believe it or not. Some people actually still read books and think about things deeply and not just getting one-minute uh, snippets of news. Um, but I'm also part of a, a network of ex-cult members. We're trying to do a hashtag, I got out, to, to mirror the Me Too movement, to say, look, we got conned. We got hacked. We're out. Life is good. Even if people are born in cults, they can leave. 
and they can have a support system of other ex-members to say, look at what, you're not stupid. You're not a bad person. You, you are human and you were indoctrinated. That was Stephen Hassan, who brings his personal experience as a Mooney to his study of cults and mental health. He has written four books on the subject and is founding director of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center. Jeff? Boy, that reminds me of recruiting techniques of Al-Qaeda and ISIS gene. But instead of Islamic terrorists seducing young people into violent jihad against the West, we have outlets like Fox News and even members of Congress and the former president of the United States stirring the pot, spreading poisonous conspiracy allegations against Democrats, liberals, gays, African-Americans, of course. And murder is the result. Steve's anecdote about that Christian group combing the Internet for people who've signaled their suffering from depression was chilling. He did mention to me, Jeff, that we still do have nation states engaging in this. China and Russia were mentioned specifically, conducting what he calls psychological operations. I'm not so sure that the one-on-one interventions that he recommends are going to blunt the impact of this incredibly large movement. It is just too massive, too omnipresent, and too effective. Yeah, I have to agree with you. This is big stuff, very powerful stuff that builds on a couple of centuries or more of inbred, incestuous racism, otherness, white supremacy. It's, it's going to take more than one-on-one meetings to, to root this out. I, I don't know what the answer is, and I've been mulling whether we can address the intelligence quotient of, of this again in the future. I don't see the intelligence agencies as being involved in this and having a real role. they got to wait till. There's a plot to carry out violence. You have these self-starters like that guy in Buffalo. I don't think there's anything we can do to prevent it. Well, you do have DHS and the State Department both with countering violent extremism uh, components within them. But clearly, they're not having the kind of impact we all need. Yeah, for sure. And now DHS has this new uh, disinformation unit that I'm very skeptical about. So anyway... Our job is to stay on top of stuff like that, so we will. A reminder, you can subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review, but only a good one, by the way. We don't want the bad ones. And and send us any suggestions you might have for topics you'd like to hear us explore. Also, a reminder that Jeff has a lot of great content on Substack, so you can also subscribe to Spy Talk there. Our Twitter handles... I'm at Gene Meserve. He's at Spy Talker. Follow us and stay tuned because Jeff has more coming up in just a moment. I've known former CIA officer Mark Polymeropoulos for some time now, and he's been a guest on our podcast before. You may have heard of him from his very public battle with the CIA over its treatment of operatives suffering from so-called Havana syndrome the brain injuries, which the agency calls anomalous health incidents. Intelligence sources suspect the Russians have inflicted these injuries on U.S. government employees, over 100 now, with some kind of directed pulse energy weapon. But I invited Mark on the show this week to discuss a promising new weapon to reduce the skyrocketing number of suicides among U.S. intelligence and special operation veterans of the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. It's a shocking figure. One of those struck very close to home for Mark. Mark, a little while ago, you wrote a story about the sad, tragic 
story of Bill Mulder, a Navy SEAL who took his own life. And it seems that it was because he was afraid to consult a psychiatrist or get mental health help. Tell, tell us a little bit about that story. Sure. So indeed, uh, you know, Jeff, this is a terrible, tragic story. I've gotten to know the Mulder family, extended family in terms of Bill's widow and his, and his brother-in-law. But this all started um, when several years ago, I heard about a story about a Navy SEAL named, named Bill Mulder, who 127 days after separating from the Navy, took his own life. And it was terrible. It was tragic. And, you know, concurrently, I had uh, met someone named uh, William Negley, who is the CEO of a company called SoundOff, which in essence is a it's, a, it's an app you put on your mobile phone, which provides um, anonymous mental health care for, uh, for veterans. And it turns out, you know, uh, William was, is, is Bill's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And what was pretty extraordinary is as piecing this together and, and talking to William and then talking to Sidney Mulder, who is Bill Mulder's widow, it turns out that Navy SEAL Bill Mulder actually worked for me on rotation to CIA back in 2012. So I had met him. I, in fact, had managed him. And so it started getting a little more emotional for me. And then all of a sudden put that on top of my own healthcare struggles, which are kind of well-known in, in public circles in terms of, you know, my battle with, uh, with kind of some mental health issues in terms of, you know, the anonymous health incidents or Havana syndrome and, and, my, and my going to Walter Reed for treatment. Um, and so it all kind of came together in which, you know, you have this terrible story of a Navy SEAL's death, some of my own struggles, my going to Walter Reed and kind of the final understanding that, you know, veterans in the United States military, as well as, you know, others in the U.S. government are really struggling for mental health. They're killing themselves at an extraordinary rate of 22 per day, which is a staggering number. It's hard to even put your, um, you know, your, your hands around. And ultimately, it's because uh, there's a stigma involved with mental health. And so while there is help out there, if a veteran, if a U.S. military officer, if an intelligence officer wants to get that help, you know, over half of those or almost half of those who do need that help don't get it because of that stigma. You quote him, I think, in your story as saying to his wife, you can't make me get counseling. So is it true that there is a stigma for seeking mental health care in the special operations community in particular, CIA community as well? Absolutely, because you know, for for first and foremost, mental health issues that's that's a silent injury. So it's not something you know. You weren't shot. You don't have a visible wound. You don't have a broken leg or a twisted ankle. You have you have something wrong, but but it's it's unseen. And so uh, there is a stigma of going and getting assistance, particularly because you're going to be taken off offline, off duty, as you should be, to get help. Yet you worry that that your your colleagues and your friends are not going to believe you because there's no visible wound. Let me ask you: Is it because of your uh, the suffering veteran is worried about his friends and colleagues, or is it an institutional problem that the special operations community and CIA won't do more to be more protective of these veterans and help them and get them back to work? Right. Right. So, so one of the things about, you know, the, the issue with the stigma, it's, it's kind of interesting because it is in some ways based on this kind of brotherhood or sisterhood where you just tough it out um, against for something that's kind of silent and unseen. But the, the fact of the matter is if, if you come forward with a mental health illness, you know, there's a fear, whether it's an intelligence officer or an operator, that you're going to be, your, you know, your clearances will be pulled, your, your temporary duty status will be yanked. You won't be able to go off on, on missions and people will question you because, it's an unseen injury. You know, they, they will say, well, we don't see anything wrong with you. You're, your head hurts. You're having nightmares. You know, it, you know, you have a headache. 
And so the, the existence of sound off is really important, both for veterans, but also for those in active duty, because it's a way to get anonymous health care. And that is that is absolutely the key. The anonymity of this is going to really help this uh, this issue. I want to get back to sound off and how that works. I'm going to ask you how that works in a minute. But uh, we've talked about this issue before, just casually, off camera, uh, off campus. And I think you said to me that we're not talking about shattered nerves so much as been has been portrayed in war movies forever and so on. Uh, we're talking about head injuries. Right. I think you talked about that the constant uh, injuries from, or the injuries from constant explosions is what's really the main culprit here. Is that true? Yeah. So it's so it's 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 a combination of two things. It's it's both post traumatic stress, it's PTS, and it's also TBI, traumatic brain injury. And so, so put together 20 years of deployments to multiple war zones, to thousands of missions, and to constant exposures to, to kind of blasts, whether it's in training or in actual real world scenarios. And the fact of the matter is, you know, people's brains are being injured, and some of them quite severely. And so, you know, one of the things I saw is when I went to Walter Reed's traumatic brain injury program, but also as I, and I talked to my friends in the special operations community, most retired now, is everybody's pretty banged up. Um, you know, everyone is quite proud of the work we did on counterterrorism, and I can talk about that all day, but, but there was a huge toll that it took, and a lot of it are these silent injuries. It's not just, you know, uh, sh- bad shoulders or, or, or busted up knees. It's the idea of repeated breaching or, or just, you know, repeated, you know, you're on, the, you're on the wrong end of rocket attacks in Afghanistan. Uh, one of my friends from Army Special Operations has been on over a thousand missions. That's a staggering amount. It was 20 years of incessant and never-ending deployments, and so with that, this is what we get, you know, a, a force that has some, some serious, uh, you know, brain injuries. And concurrently, or because of that, of course, there are some serious mental health challenges. And again, that's why, you know, we, we need to have uh, people have the ability to access care, even if they're scared, because this doesn't get better over time. And Jeff, as I went through treatment, of course, there's, there's a part of this where I have to really respect those who I went through treatment with, you know, the stories on how they got there are pretty dramatic. So for example, someone who you know, whether it's in Fort Bragg or Virginia Beach, um, is driving down the road and someone cuts them off and they end up, you know, running the other individual off, a civilian off and beating them up. There's so uh, hidden rage. That's it's, it's a rage. It's, it's, a, it's going from fight or flight. And so, mm-hmm. so ultimately, and, and there's a way to treat this. You know, the one thing that, that I found extraordinary, whether it's at the National Intrepid Center of Excellence at Walter Reed, which is a, a traumatic brain injury center, they have experience with this. It's getting people to that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is really important. And, uh, and, you know, again, the anonymity part of what we're talking about here is, is absolutely critical. Again, I'm going to get back to having you explain exactly how sound, sound off works. For another story I did recently on the CIA's Office of Medical Services, you told quite a harrowing story. Uh, you said the Office of Medical Services is, is broken and has been broken for a long time. Tell me about the process that you went through when you came back. In 2012. Well, you know, in multiple, you know, deployments to war zones when I returned, you know, it was just kind of a pro forma, you know, sit down with a, a I can't remember if it's a psychologist, psychiatrist, and they're basically asking, how you doing? Are you sleeping well? Are you drinking a lot? And of course, everybody to a T lies um, and says, yeah, I'm fine. No nightmares, not drinking anything more. And it's, you know, it, to me, it was, it was a, a box checking exercise. And what I found from, hmm. and, and let me just say, there are, there a are some box checking exercise. Box, it is, but there are good doctors in Office of Medical Services, but the institution is broken because it's not, it wasn't designed to kind of really figure out what's happening to you. I mean, what you, what you would need, it would be a comprehensive psychiatric exam when you come back from a year in Afghanistan. You know, when I came back, 
I was subject to rocket attacks every day for the entire year, every morning. I didn't need an alarm clock, Jeff. We got mm -hmm. hit by 107 millimeter rockets every morning. Now, you know, so when I came back, it was just this cursory review. Interestingly, my time in Afghanistan was much less kind of traumatic for me than, than years earlier when I came back from Iraq, where I really did come back with, with some really bad, uh, uh, terrible nightmares and, 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 you know, seeing dead bodies and things like that. But, but ultimately, uh, the Office of Medical Services was not designed to assist with that. And, uh, no. and, and I think that, as you, as you wrote in, a, in an excellent story, you know, when Congress uh, passes legislation that the president signs that basically says that we need a review of the medical qualifications of every doctor, that we have on staff, yeah, that should just be kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, let me just circle back around what I reported last week, and thanks to you for your help on that piece and pointing me to the issue. Uh, Congress has set up this extraordinary outside review board to keep track of the day-by-day -day operations of the CIA's Office of Medical Services and to make sure, uh, even to go over the credentials of the physicians there and how they're operating. And that's just absolutely unprecedented. You know, I went through my own sort of harrowing experience in Vietnam, so I'm very familiar with this check-the-box departure from the service. Um, so... That's going to take a while, to, to say the least, to reform the medical services um, at CIA anyway. Let's talk about, so in the meantime, we've got this, one of these programs is called Sound Off that you're involved with, uh, with the uh, uh, survivors and family relatives of, of Bill Mulder. Right. Uh, and, and tell me how that, that operates. That's a cell phone app. That's right. You download and that you can call in and get some instant help. Tell That's us right. about so, it. You know, it's it, it, the, the key on this, of course, is, you know, how, how user friendly it is. So it's an app on your cell phone where you can, in essence, immediately access. And, and there's some registration process, but in essence, access, uh, you know, mental health care, either an actual mental health care specialist or someone we, we would call a battle buddy who's been trained. But ultimately, you're talking to someone anonymously. And uh, this is not a suicide prevention hotline. This is designed for as a first responder would think of things, if someone's not feeling right, not feeling well, you can actually talk to someone anonymously and not have the concern that your clearance is gonna be pulled, that your TDY, temporary duty status is gonna be pulled. Because, you know, because as again, once again, it was this, this idea of battling the stigma of mental health. Um, this seemed like a very smart way to go. And it, it certainly has, it, you know, SoundOff went live in Texas in 2020, um, over the past year that, you know, we've helped hundreds of Texans. It's gonna go, it's, it's getting to be live across the country. And, and a key point on this is we now have, and again, the, the amazing work of, of the CEO of SoundOff, Bill Negley, a former CIA officer, uh, as I said before, the brother-in-law of a Navy SEAL who, who committed suicide, but, but he has established partnerships with charitable foundations across all aspects uh, of the U.S. military, the Navy SEAL Foundation, Special Forces Tr uh, Charitable Trust, so, so foundations, really well-established foundations, because what we want them to do is advertise amongst all of their, their veteran population that this exists. Do you think it's getting around in the intelligence community, special operations community? Yep. Uh, well, you know, we're we're working our butts off on this. Um, you know, we, you know, I think you know, you know, William is does this does this full time. A whole bunch of us, you know, myself, another uh, former agency officer uh, is is involved as well. Mick Mulroy, um, former uh, a paramilitary officer, is now a consultant for for ABC News. Um, he really deeply, former Marine, believes in this as well because he's seen what's happened to some of his former Marine friends and colleagues. And so we really are getting getting the word out. There's some, you know, some uh, CIA foundations that really don't have a lot of big, you know, uh, uh, public persona that are, are involved as well. 
And so we are getting the word out. And, and it's, it's, again, I think it's critically important because where we are right now, Jeff, is, you know, everyone thinks Afghanistan's over and everything's fine. But actually, we've only just begun because, you know, those who served over the last 20 years, you know, and I, I, we focus on intel and special operations only because of the repeated deployments, but it's across all branches of the military. But I think we're going to have severe mental health challenges for our veterans for, you know, for decades to come. It's just mm-hmm. not... You know, it, you know and, and everyone's kind of forgotten because the Iraq and Afghanistan's wound down. Well, you know, in our view, you know, the issue is just starting. And so, yeah. you know, it, you know, we're raising money. There's certainly fundraisers we're doing around the country. There, there has to be money to, to run this philanthropy. But the response, you know, particularly from the private sector has been quite extraordinary. Because again, when we have Sidney Mulder tell the story of her husband's death, it is so heart-wrenching and tragic. Um, it's hard to kind of put in words. I mean, can you imagine is this, you know, this is obviously I'm, I'm talking about something that's a little personal to another family, but Bill, unfortunately uh, killed himself on a FaceTime call with Sydney. And that is something that is, that is, it, it is heart wrenching and it's, it's hard to even kind of grasp and, and understand. So the key here with sound off is the anonymity. Yes. So, so what can a CIA veteran or special operations veteran or on duty soldier or Marine or CIA officer expect when they click on the link, right? What, what happens next? So they register and then eventually they're going to be, you know, in short order, be, be put in touch with someone to speak with. One of the interesting things is we actually have no ability to, to determine who this individual is, you know, with, with just the technology is such that we can never know if, if the, if the, if the veteran or the intelligence, uh, you know, professional wants to share that, um, that of course is, is up to them, but, you know, it, it truly is anonymous. We have no uh, ability to to determine who um, we are speaking with, and that's again, that's really important for a variety of reasons. But also, as we as we kind of break into you know uh, uh, the the intelligence world, you know, there's going to be, of course, some questions of folks in terms of counterintelligence concerns. Uh, and so, you know, you know, would 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 we advocate you know accessing sound off from Beijing or Moscow? You know, perhaps not. But that's really not what we're talking about right now. What about? Uh- the people who answer the phone or start engaging in an online is do they start engaging in an online dialogue? Yeah, that, they'll start. They'll start speaking. And is that immediate? They can get immediate help. Uh, you know, after a registration process, there's some steps to register where where they have to the their registration information will come into SoundOff. We'll put them in touch with the right individual to speak with. So so maybe there's some steps. It could you know last only minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the idea of of you know very quickly getting people online and speaking with them. And, and of course, it's going to be up to the individual who, who's talking to one of our um, specialists, you know, on how much they want to share. And again, we just we don't have their identities. And, and if, if they say something like, you know, they, they're, they're thinking of hurting themselves, obviously, we're going to try to get them to the right mental health care provider. There are okay. plenty of suicide, you know, suicide prevention hotlines. But but in essence, we're, this is not what this is for. This is for, you know, something that is that is hopefully far before they would take such kind of action. But it's, it's people who are hurting and who need to speak to a mental health care provider. I would think that that a lot of people in this community would be very worried about talking to someone who might not have a security clearance because uh, their mental uh, injury might come from losing an agent in China or or in a war theater. Uh, someone who you had a long a case officer had a long relationship with, uh, and you made a mistake and got that person killed right. or captured. So, can the uh, person who's calling in or uh, you know clicking on sound off can they be assured of some discretion? 
Absolutely, because again, there's no way for us to know who we're talking to. It is it is technically impossible. And so, you know, uh, uh, you know, and and but but again, it's you know, there, there's going to have to be some trust developed. So perhaps the 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 individual who's hurting is not going to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, and I would not certainly advocate uh, you know uh, exposing any classified information. But but in general, it's going to be more of hey, I'm hurting right now, or I'm drinking too much, or you know, I'm having thoughts of uh, of, okay. uh, uh, of of hurting a family member, and kind of going from there. And you know, when you when you talk about mental health, and again, I've, I I the, the, one of the reasons why this resonates so much with me is because the mental health professionals, ironically, the, the best one I talked to was a was a Marine Corps chaplain. Um, and Walter Reed, you know, they helped me, you know, tremendously. And and look, and I would never talk to them about classified information. It was more just about, you know, you know, uh, kind of some deep feelings I had um, towards my old organization and some feelings of betrayal and and you know mm-hmm. not getting the right health care that I needed. And so there's a way to do that safely. And the shorthand on that is that you were suffering from symptoms that we now call Havana syndrome and top leadership at CIA was not treating that seriously enough. No, they weren't. And, uh, you know, this is a, this is a long kind of painful, you know, story of my own struggle, but, but ultimately, um, you know, in December, 2017, I was, I was injured in Moscow. What, what I believe and certainly others do is, is some type of directed energy attack. And then ultimately when I asked CIA for healthcare, they said, no, and it started a kind of a long battle. I eventually went public with this and, Ultimately, I did get treatment at at, uh, at Walter Reed's Traumatic Brain Injury Center, but it took a very long time, and I was certainly ostracized for for many months from you know really former CIA colleagues. And so I had a host of mental health issues with anxiety and anger and betrayal. And and again, you know, it, it, the, one of the well, here here's here's a perfect example. The person who helped me the most was not a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. As I said, it's a Marine Corps chaplain who mm-hmm. talked to me about kind of the the the, the concepts of forgiveness. Now, when you, let's let's move it over to sound off. I I just needed someone to talk to. It's the same thing with sound off. This is an, this is you know uh, uh, giving someone the ability to talk to someone. It doesn't have to be a, a fully trained psychiatrist. You know, there, we have things called battle buddies. That's that's some individuals who we've trained a bit, but ultimately are going to merely speak to a veteran who is hurting. And so so ultimately, you know, I, I, that resonates with me so much because again, this this grizzled old Marine Corps chaplain, and I, and I say this very openly, certainly you know helped save me. I'm so glad you're on the road to healing. It's been a long and hard road for you, Mark. And, of course, many others now. Scores of people now reporting problems from so-called Havana syndrome. And, and again, this battle fatigue and mental problems resulting from combat tours. Um, the, in researching the subject, I've learned that the VA is pretty far behind the curve in dealing with... Uh, these uh, alternative therapies that are available. I'm going to be addressing that in a in a future podcast. This one is called SGB. That stands for stellate ganglion block, which right. is a shot given to the uh, into the neck, into the nerves in the neck, and it resets the central nervous oh, system. I'm, I'm aware of that. Yep. Uh, the DO, uh, the DOD likes that, but not the VA. Uh, of course, so this for discharged veterans, this becomes a, a money issue. Uh, and there are other therapies available that the VA has not yet caught up on. And I'm going to revisit that in another podcast. But in the meantime, uh, we want to direct people to sound off. Find it on your uh, Apple or you know iPhone apps store or wherever you download applications. And, and we want veterans... Uh, 
to get that or family members who have veterans in distress uh, to refer them or just get it for them. And uh, let's let's let the healing begin. Mark Polymeropoulos, as always, thank you so much for spending time with us uh, here on the Spy Talk podcast. I really I really value the friendship we've developed over the last couple of years. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's former CIA officer Mark Polymeropoulos. We'll no doubt be back with future developments on this mental health crisis among military and intelligence veterans, not to mention the mysteries of the Havana syndrome attacks. Gene? Mental health seems to be our theme today. It is just such a widespread problem. Every time you pick up a newspaper, you read about some other population that's afflicted. Youth, for instance, kids coming out of the pandemic, and the country simply doesn't have the resources to give all of these people the services they need. I hope this new initiative works. I have to say that I couldn't even open up the front section of the paper today. Per usual, I padded out to my driveway, picked up the paper. I'm unfolding it as I walk back into the house, put it down on the breakfast table. I looked at the headlines on Buffalo, COVID, January 6th committee hearings and so on. I just couldn't, I just couldn't get past page one. And even the sports section had bad news in it. So I, I just skipped it. This, this is the hardest issue, this mass movement toward hysteria, racism, uh, condoning of violence, uh, the movement to put glue in the election machinery and so on. It's, it's very disconcerting. All we can do is keep on top of it, keep reporting on it, and get you know guests who uh, really have expertise in these issues to, to come on the show and, and tell us about it. And I, and I hope we you know provide some value to our listeners. And as hard as it is, Jeff, we have to keep reading the news so we stay on top of it. Alas. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast and to Spy Talk on Substack. Follow us on Twitter and tune in next week for another episode. I'm Gene Meserve. And I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for listening, as usual. And we look forward to seeing you back here next week. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.